This morning, we are going to be going into the book of Philemon, and we're going to take a little detour from the life of Moses. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about something that is very challenging and very difficult, and that is restoration, forgiveness, and restoration. Forgiveness and restoration. This is something that the world looks at, and they look at us, and of course we as ambassadors for Jesus Christ will preach, we will share the gospel with the lost. But also we are called to exercise forgiveness and restoration within the body of Christ. Because the world looks at us and that our message is not only to the lost for salvation, but also for forgiveness and restoration for those in the body of Christ, especially those who have, who have really injured us and hurt us. Amen? It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if, you, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Today, what we're going to do 
is we're going to talk about forgiveness and restoration. And it says this, God wants to use, God wants to use people as instruments of forgiveness and restoration who do the following. Number one, use a humble and warm approach to open the door for forgiveness and restoration. Number two, use edification, use edification to build the capacity for, give, for forgiveness and restoration. Number three, use exhortation to address the issue of forgiveness and restoration. Number four, use an eternal perspective to reinforce the necessity of forgiveness and restoration. Number five, acknowledge the elemental cause and effect. God forgave us. We are to forgive and restore others. And finally, number six, have grateful expectations. Always assume the best in relationships after addressing the issue of restoration and forgiveness. The first thing is about a humble and warm approach to open the door for forgiveness and restoration. So what is needed? What is needed? Well, the first thing is a humble, humble position. Notice what Paul says here. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, this is a little bit different than what he usually said. What is his usually greeting? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't say that. He says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I find this phrase very interesting because the prisoner, he's saying that all believers are really a prisoner of Christ Jesus, right? Jesus is our Lord. So in other words, whatever he says and however the Spirit guides us, that's what we're to do. So he's identifying with Onesimus and he says, you are a prisoner as well. But I want you to understand something. A prisoner is also, Onesimus was a slave. So he's identifying with both. And Jesus and, and Paul said in Corinthians, he says, I become all things to all men. You see, he was having this humble position, not as an apostle, but in a prisoner of Jesus Christ. The second is warm relationships. He says, in Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Notice, he's talking about relational things. He's saying, you know what? Timothy is our brother. Philemon, you're our beloved brother. And then he talks about Aphia, an Archippus fellow soldier, and Aphia the sister, and the church in your house. So in other words, he's approaching, he says, we have a relationship. Relationships are very important, aren't they? Godly relationships. Not ungodly relationships, but godly relationships. And so he says, you know, he starts off also with a warm relationship. Humility and now warm relationships. Then he talks about great eternal resources. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He says grace. Now let me say this. People will often, they, they think of grace as a dirty word. They think grace is a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is something that feeds the new man of who we are in Jesus Christ to do the things that we would not be able to do in our flesh. I like Romans 6.14. It says, for, for the law will not have dominion over you because you are not, 
Sin will not have dominion over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. And so he's, what he's doing is he's saying, you have, I'm coming to you in humility. We have a warm relationship and fellowship. And now you're going to get the grace. So I'm going to ask you to restore somebody. He's coming to that. And it's Galatians 6, 1 and 2. If someone is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. And bear one another's burdens so that you may fulfill the law of Christ. Amen? The second thing is you use edification to build capacity for forgiveness and restoration. Notice he hasn't even gotten to the main thing yet. But he's building on it. And this is what we need to do. He says, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Now he's saying that your love and your faith. Why is that put together? Because in 1 John 4.20 it says, if someone says, I love God, and they hate their fellow man, he says, they're a liar. Because how can you say that you love God who you don't see and hate your brother who you do see? You see, so he's saying, He's saying, this is the faith and the love that resides within you, Philemon. And he goes on, next. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. And what is he saying here? He's saying it's in you, and we are told in 2 Peter chapter 1, aren't we? We are told in 2 Peter chapter 1, that through the promises of God, we are made partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And we are to add our faith to our faith, the, char the characteristics of God, so that we're fruitful in our labor and fruitful in our faith. He says, for I've come to have much joy and comfort in your, in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Notice he's building them up. And he's edifying them. Now, this is the third thing. Use exhortation. Use exhortation to address the issue of forgiveness and restoration. Now, in light of these first seven verses, he says this. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather I preferably appeal to you, since I have I am such a person as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He appeals to him. Notice he doesn't mention anything about apostle. But Paul the aged and the prisoner the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He says, I have the confidence to order you, but I've but I'm going to appeal to you. You see, this exhortation, by the way, exhortation can have a variety of meanings. It can mean challenge. It can mean almost a rebuke, but it can be an encouragement. And I think it's more along the line with this, okay? Here's Paul the aged writing this letter. So I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I've begotten in, in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you. Now he says, I've begotten, in other words, my child Onesimus. How can Onesimus be his child? And, and I want you to understand, Onesimus was a slave. 
And people even think that he might have even stole from Philemon. And in the Roman Empire, this would, could result in his execution. But he's saying, my child. Why is that? Because in Romans chapter 8, we have a spirit of adoption where we cry, Abba, Father. And so he says, I've begotten of my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you. Now this is a play on words. The play on words because, well, you know what Onesimus means? It means useful. He says, but he was formerly useless to you. But now it's useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is sending my heart. In other words, if you don't forgive Onesimus as you hurt him, you hurt me. That's what Paul was really saying. He's identifying with Onesimus, and he's appealing. He's appealing to Philemon. He says, he is a child of the gospel. He is now your brother in Christ, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. So he's appealing to him. Now, now the fourth thing is use an eternal perspective to reinforce the necessity of forgiveness and restoration. He says, for, for, Pat, per, excuse me, for perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. In other words, sometimes people use this verse, Romans 8, 28, where they say, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, who called not according to his purpose, correct? And so the point is, but that is for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And look at the sovereignty here. And you know, Onesimus left. He, f he fled from the household of Philemon. He, he probably stole. So in other words, his intentions weren't the best. But all the while, there's the sovereignty of God in the background here. And, and he's, what is he encouraging Philemon not to do? In Luke 15, he encourages, he says, don't be like the father's elders elder son don't be like you take for instance where there's legalism and we are to forgive 70 times 7 if they say I repent correct he says and you think of the sovereignty of God you also think about Joseph Joseph in Genesis 50 now did, did Joseph's brothers did they, did they were they uh, did they have good motives in, in selling Joseph into Egypt? No. But we saw the sovereignty of God when he was sold to Potiphar, falsely accused, put in prison, and then interpreting a dream and being second in command to Pharaoh in a fulfillment of God's dreams. And then when he showed his goodness and brought him down to Egypt, when Jacob died, they go, uh-oh, now he's going to get revenge. And what did, what did Joseph say? He says, am I in God's stead? He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to, to preserve many people alive. You see, Joseph was all about forgiveness and rest, restoration. 
He says, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So when you looked at Onesimus by sight, he was a slave, he was a thief. But now we know, how do we judge? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we say this, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Let me say this. There are people who may be in this audience. There may be people who are looking at this message. This message either on the internet or through a DVD or what have you. And they may not know Christ. They may not know forgiveness. But the gospel says... Some of them will say, well, you know what? I got my religion. I'm too good. I do these good things. And there'll be some who say, oh, I'm too bad. You know what the problem is? You are in the way. You see? In the gospel is that Jesus Christ led a perfect life, the Son of God, and God the Son led a perfect life And he died on the cross in a substitute for all those who would repent and put their trust in Jesus Christ. And then what happened to prove that he was who he said he was, he rose from the dead. And you have to believe that. And why is that? Because in the word of God it says this. He was delivered for our transgressions and he was raised for our justification. This addresses the objection about someone coming in salvation because they may say this. You may say, well, how can I live the Christian life? I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. I, you know, it, it's going to be too much. It's going to be too hard for me to live the Christian life. Let me say this. The Christian life is not hard. It's impossible without the risen Lord, without the Spirit living within you. And he will give you the capacity, his grace, that dirty word again, his grace to help you do that to the glory of God. So I I urge you to repent and give your heart to Jesus Christ. And guess what? That risen Lord, that ascended Lord, he ever lives to make intercession for you. He, by the way, if this message is softening your heart, he gives the ability to have the faith and to repent and to trust in him. It's all God. It has nothing to do with you and me. And I encourage you, all of each and every one of us, to be ambassadors and say, be reconciled to God. And don't worry about the results. We've never saved a single soul. It's by the Holy Spirit and his conviction that does this. We're just the messenger boy or the messenger girl. We still have boys and girls here. There's no confusion. I like this. I I don't want to get off too off track, but I love this woman, Riley Gaines. She, She has 1010 is real women's day. And I love it because the, 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 um, the Roman numerals for 1010 is XX for the chromosome. I like that. It's pretty smart. 
But getting back to this, but we say be reconciled to God. And our success is relaying the message. That's our success. We're not responsible. He is the Lord that is harvesting, not us. Listen to what Corey Ten Boom says about forgiveness. Now, Corey Ten Boom, if you've ever seen the movie The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom, she was try, her and her family were trying to escort Jews out of, out of Nazi-dominated Holland. And they were caught, and all of them had perished except for Corey. And Corey was delivered because of a typographical error. But listen to her situation in 1947. It says, Corey Tenbu believed that the Christian's highest calling is to love and forgive as God has loved and has forgiven us. In 1940, just two years after liberation, she traveled to war-torn Germany to preach the message of forgiveness at a church in Munich. In 1972, she shared what happened there. It was in a church in Munich I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of the wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that there's, that's where forgiven sins were thrown. And by the way, she also said, there's probably a sign in there, no fishing. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after our talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, collected their wraps. In silence, left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next the blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail frame ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been ar arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück, by the way, one of the most cruel guards, concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me. Of course, how could he remember one prisoner amongst thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging by his belt, it was the first time since my release that I had been face-to-face -face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on. I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. 
but I would like to hear from you, your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day had to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have not been many seconds he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If we do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also to return to the outside world and repeat, rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the out one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder ran down my arm, sprang into our joint hands, and then his healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And by the way, she said, I forgive you, my brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I could not do it as it was the love shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5 5. What a message. The next thing is eternal perspective. If you then regard me a partner, accept or restore him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. The fifth thing is acknowledge the elemental cause and effect. God forgave us, we are to forgive and restore others. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention that you owe or you're indebted to me, even if for your own self as well. In other words, what we want to hear when we try to restore and forgive people, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? We who have been forgiven 10,000, like the man with 10,000 talents, we don't want to hear you wicked slave, do we? He says, yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know you will do even more than what I say. He wants us to share this message, right? He wants us to share the message of the gospel through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the reconciliation of God. And he wants us to also help restore and reconcile people who maybe sometimes have done some, some evil. Now, some people said, 
well, some people would say, well, what about someone who's done a horrendous sin, like a mass murder, or one, and they say, come on, they can't have forgiveness. Yes, they can. Now, does that mean that they don't face human justice? Most definitely, they do face human justice. But what people don't understand is this. When they get to heaven and they're truly saved, just like us, they're not going to have a sin nature anymore. We don't even know what it's like not to have a sin nature because we swim in it. But this message is for everyone. It says, yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Now, this is, I'm going to read this. Um, this is William Shakespeare, and it's The Merchant of Venice. It's one of my favorite things. And here's, here's the story is there's this guy named Antonio, and he wants to pay for a dowry for this woman named Portia, who becomes his wife. But he makes this deal with this guy named Shylock, who says, okay, I'll put up the money, but here's your collateral. If the money doesn't come in, then you're going to forfeit a pound of flesh. And he goes into the courtroom, and Portia is disguised as her husband's lawyer, but she doesn't know it. But listen to what she says. I know it's not the Bible, but boy, it, it is good. It says this, and here's what she says when Shylock wants his pound of flesh. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rains from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. The mightiest in the mightiest, it becomes the dethroned monarchs better than its crown. His scepter shows the force of temporal power. The attribute to awe and, and majesty. Wherein doth sit the dread and fear of kings. But mercy is above the sceptered sway. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute of God himself. And earthly power does then show like God's when mercy seasons justice. Mercy seasons justice. So the final thing is to have grateful expectations. Always assume the best in relationships when addressing the issue of restoration and forgiveness. At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Damos, Luke, my fellow workers. And, great, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. In other words, he's saying he's assuming that Philemon is going to do even above what he even asked. So the question is, did Philemon do it? That's a good question, right? Because we don't really know, but here's some things. So what happened to Philemon and Onesimus. Nothing is stated how this turned out, though we may speculate. 
If this would be, go the way Paul wanted it to go, Philemon and Onesimus' relationship definitely would change. In fact, tradition says that Onesimus became a bishop or an elder in Ephesus and suffered a martyr's death in Rome. Now, the thing is, the interesting thing is some people say, well, Christianity didn't con condemn slavery in the, in the Roman Empire. But I want you to understand something. Spartacus led a revolt of slaves and it failed. But in the church, the church doesn't, doesn't go for the outward change. It goes for the change in the hearts of people. Amen? And so what happened is, by the way, this was not just Onesimus, but this happened throughout the church where all of a sudden God would call slaves to be elders. So I want you, I want you to picture this. Here's a landowner. He has a slave, and he happens to be one of the elders. You think there's a little tension there? And he would say, this is not right. An elder in my church should not be my slave. But then they would come to the conclusion of this. They would say, then guess what? Slavery is wrong all the way around. And it was a revolution in the church that succeeded where Spartacus failed. It also, in fact, Philemon, Archie puts it in Onesimus, were stoned to death in the reign of Nero. Next. So, in conclusion, what are we, if we are to be used by God, do we use a humble and warm approach to open the door for forgiveness and restoration? Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says that, right? You who are spiritual, do it in a spirit of humility. Number two, use edification to build capacity for forgiveness and restoration. The person who may, who may be the offended party is maybe not thinking about that at that time. But you edify them and you get them, they, you get them off the eyes of the one that offended them and themselves and on the Lord. Number three, use exhortation to address the issue of forgiveness and restoration. Encourage them, saying you can do it. You have the grace of, grace of God and you can do the impossible because that's what grace does. Number four, an eternal perspective in forgiveness and restoration. Know that forgiveness is something that is a gift given by God and gives you and I the capacity to do so. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting because I've done prison ministry a number of years and the issue of forgiveness is, is a challenge sometimes. And you talk to them about forgiveness. And a lot of times you have to say, first thing of all, the person has to, in order for them, you may in your heart forgive, but in order for you to have transactional forgiveness, in Luke 17, 3, they have, they have to repent, okay? But even in the forgiveness, the thing is, trust is not necessarily in the package of forgiveness, Forgiveness is not earned, but trust is. And you may say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. You and I can be in the process of forgetting. You know what, the pro you know what forgetting is? Is regulating something to a position of relative unimportance. You see, as a person repents and they start, they show that they're going in a different direction. What happens what happens is you, it's, the memory starts to fade. It has less of an emotional impact. So we can forgive and we can be in the process of forgetting. So he says, 
Number four, applying a paternal perspective in forgiveness and restoration so that they can see the sovereign hand of God despite the wrong and sinful choices in the past. Number five, acknowledge the elemental cause and effect. Let them know how much that forgiveness and restoration would be a blessing to you and to the body of Christ. What does it say in Ephesians 4, 3? It says this, endeavor, agonize to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we do, as we're led by the Spirit, we do what God calls us to do. We are obedient, and we show people who have no hope. We give them hope through forgiveness and restoration that is possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, have a grateful expectations in assuming the best. Point to the importance of moving on to advance the kingdom of God in forgiveness and restoration, because that is our message, right? Be reconciled to God. So I hope for those who are not believers that you would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in his work on the cross and the resurrection, and that we would also have that message, be reconciled to God. Let's close in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time that we've had. We pray that we would be able to restore and forgive. Just touch each heart, God, and we thank you that we can be constrained by the love of Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 5. In Jesus' precious name, amen.